0: us pray. Lord, we want to thank you for your words and the opportunity we have to reflect upon it together. We want to thank you for your spirit, Lord Jesus, that teaches us and trains us, corrects us, molds us, makes us more like you, Lord Jesus Christ. And we ask that the words you give to us today would be solely from you. And Lord, that you would use it to touch our lives. Speak to us words that you want to say to each one of us. For we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. It was sunrise in Los Angeles when police officer On his motorbike, Bob Vernon saw a red pickup truck speeding through a stop sign. Guy must be late for work, he thought. So he drove after him, switched on his light, radioed that he was in pursuit of this pickup truck that had just run straight through a red light. Pickup truck pulled over to the side. As he drew up his motorcycle behind, he got off. He walked up to the driver's door when he got there he said to him could you please you know turn off the engine please give me your and he was going to say your driving license can I have a look at your license but before he could say that the driver pulled out a pistol shot him straight in the chest he flew back about seven feet landed on the ground driver then started fumbling for his keys trying to put him in the lock to drive off again. As he did so, he saw out the corner of his eye, the police officer, get up off the street, pull out his gun, start shooting at him. One bullet went straight in through the door of the car, hit the guy in the leg. The other one went in and hit the windscreen. The guy just threw his gun out the window, along with a sack of money that he'd just taken from a a convenience store that he'd just robbed and put his hands in the air, says, don't shoot. What saved Bob Vernon that day was 16 little pieces all knitted together of what we call Kevlar, bulletproof vests. Each layer is only three-eighths of an inch thick, and there's 16 of them that they ply together to make what we know as a bulletproof vest. And they work. It saved his life that day. In the same way that bulletproof vests are used by army, by police, and so on to save their lives. So the Bible tells us that we are to put on to our own armor. Ephesians chapter 6, if you've got your Bibles, turn there. Because over the next few weeks, we're going to look at this. How do we do this? How do we put on our Kevlar? Now, we don't need it because somebody. we're not going to stop any trucks going down the road. But equally, we have an enemy that is shooting at us. And unless we have our bulletproof vests on, unless we have on the armor of God, we are going to be attacked, we're going to be even killed by the enemy. And just as a police officer goes into battle every day, they go outside their front door. They don't know what they're going to meet. So in the same way, the Bible talks about us being in that kind of spiritual battle as well. Ephesians chapter 6, Paul here is under house arrest in Rome. He's there, he's he's not in a prison yet, that's the next arrest that he has. But here he's under house arrest, so he can wander around his house, he's just not allowed outside. And so people come and cook, and and he gets visitors and so on. And one of the visitors comes and he says, you know, tells him about the church in in Ephesus that Paul had visited on his missionary journeys. Now, Ephesus, if you you know anything about the history, was a, a really wealthy place. There was an amazing port in Ephesus. And the port there was the end of the Silk Road. So all the traffic that came from the east and all the spices and everything else that came from out east all came through into Ephesus. And so it was full of money. It was also a place where the temple of Diana was. And so there was loads and loads of prostitution that went around the temple cult as well. Diana being goddess of fertility. And so there was, prostitution was everywhere. If you go to Ephesus today, you can walk down the main street in Ephesus. At the bottom of the main street is the main library. Libraries were for men only. And they found as they excavated Ephesus today that next to the library in the door on the right hand side of the library wall, there is a door there. And the door leads straight into next door which was the brothel where all the prostitutes were. So the men would get up in the morning and say to their wives, I'm off to the library. And really they would go to the library and it was a men only library and they would go in there and they would go through the door into the brothel next door. They would get their reading literature and A few other things as well. And then they would come back out through that same door, and back into the library, and then go home again. How was your study? And it was very good. Thank you very much. That was Ephesus. And in this place, a young church is formed. And they've got all the pressures of all this immorality around them. The temple worship, which people would come from miles and miles around to see. And there Paul writes this letter to them, encouraging them. And the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians that we have are Paul really pouring out his heart saying, this is the gospel, this is the relationship that you have with Christ. And then from chapters four to six, he says, and because we have this relationship, because we have the gospel inside of us, this relationship with Christ, this is how we're to live it out This is what it means in day to day. You see what's going on in the city around you. That's not what you're to do. That's not how you're to be. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so he spells it out for them in different scenarios. And then he concludes his letter with these words. Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, he says, this is, this is, and he gets to the crunch now of how, how we're going to live out this kind of lifestyle. How are we going to be countercultural to the people around us? How are we going to have the strength not to be immoral as everybody else is immoral? How are we going to be able to have that strength to follow Jesus Christ in a, in a culture that is anti the way of Jesus? And he says this finally, he says, verse 10 be strong So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand. And then he goes on to explain what the armor of God is. So, what is he saying to us? How do we live as children of faith? How do we live in a world around us that is increasingly anti the ways of Christ? What do we need to do to live? successful, victorious Christian living lives in that scenario. Well, first of all, he says, you need to know where your strength comes from. Finally, verse 10, it says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. First, he says, be strong. So he's saying, you already have the strength. It's like, you don't have to go and find it. It's already there, it's given to you. You don't have to say, well, where where am I going to get my strength from? He just says, be what you are. Be strong. Be strong in the Lord. It's already there with you. It's already been given to you. You don't have to go and find it. Look back in Ephesians 3, verse 20. He says, this is the doxology at the end of his his, uh, prayer for the church in Ephesus and describing who Jesus is. And he kind of overflows with this. And he says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. He says, according to his power that is at work within us. We have the power of God within us, he says. It's already been given to you. When you become a believer in Jesus Christ, you are given the power of God within you. When Christ comes within you, when Jesus sets up his tabernacle, his tent within you, you have automatically the power of God. Everything you need is within you. It's there already. It's the same power that David recognized when he went to face Goliath. Do you remember Goliath? Comes up, humongous guy. Rippling with biceps. Looks like one of those rugby prop forward guys, right? Set, you know, They said yesterday in the rugby match, there was a guy six foot nine. He was huge. You imagine Goliath. He's what, supposed to be like 11 foot tall. Rippling. And there's little David. I love, I love rugby interviews. I don't know if you saw, they were, they were interviewing before the rugby. An ex-rugby player and Tom Jones, the Welsh singer. He was like, looking like this at this guy. He was towering above him. And that's what David and Goliath is. But what does David do? He says, you come against me with spear. You come against me with armor. I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. He didn't care that he was like 25 foot tall. He's just grown, by the way. Uh, He didn't care about that. He said, because I know the power that is already within me. I have the name and the power of the Lord Almighty inside of me. And it doesn't matter how big you are, how strong you are, how you think you can defeat me, because I already have the power of God within me. David knew that power. And because of that, he was able to stand strong in those moments when he needed it the most. And Paul reminds the believers and reminds us that we have that same power within each one of us. And if you go back even further in Ephesians, look at chapter 1. You say, well, what is that kind of power? How powerful is that? Ephesians 1, verse 18. He says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and in his incomparable great power for us who believe. Listen to this. That power, so that's the power that he says he's asking that our hearts, the eyes of our hearts may be opened so that we recognize this power that is in us who believe. That power, he says, is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly realms. So that same power that raised Christ from hell, that brought him up from death after three days, that not only did that, not only the power to breathe life back into a dead body, to breathe spirit back in, it's not only that same power, but that same power that then exalted him and placed him at the right hand, the place of honor in heaven, that same power, he says, is at work in you and in me. That is how much power God has invested in you. Do you feel that? Do you know that? That is what he has placed within you. Do we we exercise that amount of power in our life? When difficulty comes, do we exercise it? When we're praying for people, do we exercise it? Do we really have the eyes of enlightenment that shows itself in our daily life? Or it's like, oh Lord, well, maybe if, well, you know, not sure, Lord. Or is it the same power that Jesus Christ displayed? The same power that is at work within us. Paul says in Corinthians, he says, we, We've got the Holy Spirit working. We're a temple of the Holy Spirit. God is living within us, He is there. But he also says in verse 18 of chapter 1 that we need to be enlightened, we need to see it. And he says that too in verse 11 back here in Ephesians 6. Put on the full armor of God. We have that power, but we need to put it on. We have it there at our our disposal, but we need to put on the full armor of God so that we can take a stand against the devil's schemes. You need to recognize it. You need those eyes of enlightenment that can say, I need this power, I need this armor, I'm going to put it on. It's already ours, but we still need to dress in it. Often, or sometimes, when I go out, I go out with my wife, going out for dinner, and she looks at me just as we're about to go out the door, and she says to me, You're not going looking like that, are you? Anybody been there? How come only the men are putting their hands up? That's all I don't know. You know? You're not going like that. I said, What do you mean? This is comfortable. She says, you're not wearing that. You're not wearing that. Take that off. Put on that jumper I bought you. You know, the double one. Put that one on. I like that one. I bought it for you. Put it on. Put this on. You know? and, and she tells me, what and then I put it on, and then we can go out. Now, she doesn't say to me in those moments, here's a 100 pound, now go buy yourself a new outfit. She She's never said that to me said it right there subliminal messaging going on no she doesn't say that she says you know she what she does is she thinks and she goes I know what he's got in his wardrobe I've seen it all now go put this on and this on and this on because this will match because I have no idea what matches I hold my hand up I have no idea if this looks okay or it doesn't look okay if I put this on and I said look all right it's okay. she said okay I know, it's because my wife said okay this morning, and so I'm confident that I don't look too bad. <laughs> I don't know, I'd wear green socks, it wouldn't bother me, right? I just, I just don't have those kind of eyes to see. But she, she says to me, like, go wear this and this and this, because this matches, and this will look nice. You'll look okay, you'll look good. And I thank her for doing that. Otherwise I'd be some kind of, well anyway, let's not go there. But in the same way, God is saying to us, put on the armor of God. In other words, I've got the whole armor for you hanging up in your closet. It's there in your wardrobe. I've given it to you. You've got it. You don't have to go ask for it. You don't have to go out and buy it. You don't have to go and find it. God said, I've put it there for you. It's on the hanger. But what you have to do, he says here, is to go and put it on. It's there waiting for you. It's there available for you. God says, when you become a child of mine, I'm going to give you this as a present. Here's your uh, your suit. Wear it. And there it is, hanging there. He says, put it on. And we need to recognize, we need to have those eyes that see it there and say, yes, Lord, I'm going to wear today your armor. I'm going to put it on. How many times do we just leave it? And why do we put it on? We put it on so that we can take a stand against the devil's schemes. Now, God wants us to stand firm. He said, my aim for you. He repeats it over and over again in this passage. Stand firm, stand firm, stand firm. He said, I want you, I'm going to give you everything you need so that in your Christian life, in your journey of faith with Christ, you can stand firm. You can stand on solid ground. You're not going to get pushed over. It's like the England rugby team in the scrum yesterday. They weren't firm at all. They kept getting pushed back all the time. And I bet the coach was going, just stand firm, stand firm, stay there. Ball's coming in, just stay there. Hold your position. But there's this humongous pack pushing us. And it's the same with us. We, We have everything we need to stand firm. How many times when you've fallen, how many times when I've fallen down, when I haven't stood firm, I pray, Lord, oh, Lord, I I just wish you'd give me enough strength to stand firm. I wish you would give me what I need. And the Lord says, David, it's hanging up. I've already given it to you. You know, one of the things the Lord's really teaching me right now is this very thing. I keep praying to the Lord, or I have been in the past, praying saying, say, Lord, I need this, and I need this, and I need this, and I need this. And God keeps saying to me, David, I've given you everything you need. Every single thing I've already given it, you need to learn how to use it instead of leaving it. Don't come to me, God says, and start weeping and crying and saying, oh, Lord, I messed up again. And he's going, yeah, but it was hanging here and you didn't put it on. Stick it on. What more can I do? You want me to treat you like a baby and get you dressed every day? You're a grown guy. I've given it to you. Now put it on. I've given you the privilege of prayer. Now use it. I've given you his word. Now learn it. I've given you the ground on which you can stand firm. Now stand firm. And don't back away. And don't fall over. Because the enemy... The devil is coming in and he wants to push you down. He wants to make you stumble. He wants to make you fall. That's what his aim is. He will come in and he'll use any tactic that he can to make you fall flat on your face. He wants you to do that just to go bang on the ground. And then again, when you pick yourself up to keep you smacking down over and over again. And God says, I've given you everything to stop this. Now use it. Stand firm, put it on the armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's tricks. You know what the devil does? He'll use one way. And then when that doesn't work, he'll try another way. And then he'll try another way. And he'll try another way until he gets in. I read this thing this week. The six ways that the devil uses, six common things. Six D's of the devil. The first one is a deception. If you look back in Genesis chapter 3 with Adam and Eve, he twists the words of God. Did God really say you're not supposed to eat the apple? He knows that it will help you, it will give you insight into the things of God. Go on, take it, eat it. It looks so good. And there's that deception that the devil uses with us to say, Are you, are you sure? And he twists the words of God. The Bible says this. The Bible says, you know, how many of those passages, like in Ephesians, husbands and wives, how many of the passages do the men look at the wives section and the wives look at the husband section? And we go, hang on, wife, you're not doing what it says here. When I was in college, our lecturer says, men, look at the husband section. The wife section is not for you. Don't even read it. It's not for you. Wives, look at the wife section. Women, look at the wife section because that's your section. Don't look at the husband section. Don't look at how he's falling short of what he should do. Let him focus on what God is telling him. You focus on what God is telling you. Wise advice. But How many of us? And deception comes in and twists it. and and molds it into something else. That's the first thing he uses. The second is doubt. Look in Luke 4, verse 3. That's where Jesus is standing in the temptations in the wilderness. And what does Satan say to him? If you're the son of God, why don't you turn this bread or this, this stone into bread? If you are the son of God, who you say you are, if that's true, then bow down and all this can be yours. If you're the son of God, then the angels will even lift you up and stop your feet from falling if you jump off the roof of the temple. If, and the Satan starts and he, and he see, puts these seeds of doubt in you. If you are a child of God, well then you wouldn't be in this mess, would you? If you were a daughter of God, would you really be like this? It can't really be. The the relationships, it's it's in your mind. You're just making it up. And they put these seeds of doubt. If you're really God's son, you really think he's going to accomplish all these things he's promised? It's not going to happen. It's just words. And doubt gets in. Or there's discouragement, the third one. How many have ever been discouraged in their faith? You remember in one Kings nineteen, do you remember Elisha? He had this amazing victory on Mount Carmel. Do you remember he's up there, lights the fire and he pour water on it, you know, and all these kind of things. Do that, and then he and then he prays, and the fire of God comes down and consumes, and then they kill all the other uh, idol uh, priests of Baal. And then what happens? Then Jezebel says, you're toast, man. I'm going for you. And what happens to Elijah? He's had this amazing victory where he's trusted in God in public. And God has shown up and given this amazing victory over all the prophets of Baal. And then what does he do? He legs it into the wilderness. Going, oh my goodness, Jezebel's after me. I can't handle this. I'm out of here. And so he runs away and then he, he says... In chapter 19, he goes, Lord, I wish I was dead. I wish I'd never been born. Lord, I am so discouraged. I'm the only one left. Everybody's after me. And it's like, woe is me. This is a disaster, Lord. You've given up on me. I don't believe this. How could you do this to me? And the Lord feeds him up and then meets with him and says, what are you talking about? I've saved 20,000 others. You're not the only one. What are you going on about, Elijah? Get back in where I'm telling you to go. Stop moping about. But discouragement hit. And when discouragement hits, it drains you. And it drains the power of God within you. And you think you can do nothing. And you just give up and you say, I I can't do it. What's the point in trying? And you give up sometimes the devil uses diversion in 2 samuel chapter 11 it says it's springtime and david is there and instead of leading his army out into battles as he did every springtime christmas had finished not that they had christmas in those days but you know what i mean it's been celebrating in the winter spring comes the ground thaws time for battle guys instead of doing that what does he do He decides to send his army out into battle. I'm going to stay home and have some pizza and stuff and a bit of party in instead. And he's out there and he's looking over the rooftops. And he says, oh, there's a nice looking woman. Let me invite her over. And he gets into all kinds of mess. And what happens? The devil comes in and diverts his attention away from what it should be, which was on the people of Israel leading his army. Doing what he should have been doing as king and ends up diverting his attention away onto that, onto Bathsheba, and he ends up sinning with her and then murdering her husband and all the kind of consequences that follow. Because he allows, he takes his eyes off of God, he takes his eyes off of what God has asked him to do, and he allows that sin of diversion to take him off in another direction. And let me say this, sometimes diversion is not always a negative thing in the sense that it's not always going to be like Bathsheba and that kind of sin. Sometimes you can be diverted in church by doing the wrong thing, like a good thing, but it's not necessarily the thing that God wants you to do. You can do really good things for God, but if it's not where he wants you to be, it's still a diversion away from where he wants to flow in you and through you. And so we have to be careful because sometimes the devil mixes diversion and, and the other one of, uh, of uh, deception in together. And we go, yeah, but I'm doing this and I'm doing it in the name of God. And God's saying, yeah, but that's not where I want you to be flowing. That's not where I'm going to use you. Now, stop doing that. Go into the place where I want you to be. That's where I'm going to flow in you and through you because then you're walking in my pathways. The fifth thing that Satan sometimes uses is delay. How many of you have ever put off something? Be honest, you're in church. Good, there's a few women's hands going up as well as men. You know, I can safely say for those who want to know that I have done the shed, partly done the shed. In case you were wondering. But how many of us put it off? Yeah, Lord, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. I'll do that. But, but not today, today's a busy day, I, I can't squeeze that one in today. It's like the parable of the, the foolish virgins, you know, when, when he says, get the oil in the lamps, and five of them come all ready for the bridegroom to come, and five of the others go, yeah, 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 we'll get there, we'll get there, don't worry about it, got plenty of time, he's not turning up, he's a guy, he's going to be late, not gonna, don't have to worry about it, and then all of a sudden he turns up and they go, oh my, can you share, can you share, we need to change tactics, and they go, no, you can't come in. You got no oil in your lamp, that's it. And if they'd only gone straight away and done what they've been told to do, they wouldn't have been left out. Sometimes the enemy says, you know, you don't have to worry about it. Don't need to fix that right now. You don't really need to speak the gospel to that person. Tomorrow will do. You don't really need to pray for that person. Just yeah, do it in the future, it'll be alright. But the Bible is always now. Now is the time. Now is when we have to do it. Put on now the full armor of God. Don't wait till tomorrow. Tomorrow may be too late. Do it right now. And when God has worked in the pages of the scriptures, in the lives of people, it's because they've responded at the moment that God says. There's not a single case that I've seen in the pages of the scriptures where God really responds after they put it off for 24 hours or 48 hours. And they go, yeah, yeah, but I'll get around to that in the future, Lord. It's Lord speaks, they do. Lord flows through his spirit. And lastly, sometimes Satan uses the avenue of defeat. I'm not good enough. Why would God use me? How can God use me? I don't have all the gifts and abilities. I look at Melina here and I think, my goodness, he's blessed her with so many gifts and abilities. Why, why? What am I compared to her? How can he use me? What gifts have I got? Nothing. You know, I look at Ronnie. Ronnie, Ronnie sings. He plays, he, he, you know, he, he composes me. What, what can I do? How can I worship God compared to him? And we have that kind of defeatist attitude comes in. I'm not good enough. I haven't got the gifts enough. He's not going to use me. Why would he use me? And even before we get into the battle, we know we're going to lose. I I can't do that. I'm going to lose. I'm just going to get trounced. What's the point in even trying? And we deny then the power of God that is at work in us. Because we look at ourselves instead of look at him. And look at what he's capable of doing through us. God calls us to stand firm. He said none of these tactics of the enemy, none of these tactics of the devil can work if you stand firm because you've put on the full armor of God. If you put that on, these tactics will not work in your life. They will only work in the life of a believer if you do not stand firm or if you do not put on the full armor of God. Then you open yourself up to all of these. But he says, if you do it, if you put on the full armor, verse 11, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Put on the full armor of God, it says in verse 13, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Not that you might, but that you will, it's a guarantee if you put on the armor of God. Doesn't matter how you feel about yourself, doesn't matter these things, Satan can't come in because the, the barrier is built by Jesus Christ. He says, stand firm. Why? Well, in 1 Peter 2, it says, we're, because we're a chosen priesthood, a royal nation. We are the people of God who have been called to stand in this way and not be defeated. And lastly, we need to know who we're fighting. Look at verse 12. He says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Basically, he's saying our struggle is against the enemy, against evil, against Satan, against the devil. Played out on the world, but played out also in heaven, in the heavenly realms as well. It's a spiritual battle that we're engaged in. He says it's a struggle. Struggle here in the Greek means that it's, it's like an intimate wrestling match. It's that you grab hold. It's like sumo, you know, when they, those big guys, they grab hold of one another around parts that you don't really want to grab hold of, Right? And and they're there, and they're they're up against each other, and they're hitting each other, and they're, they're, they're just touching, and their sweat is pouring onto you, and yours is pouring onto them. That's the Greek term here. That's what it means. It's intimate. It's like that. It's like when Jacob wrestles the angel of God. Talks about him wrestling all night, doesn't it? It's that kind of intimate struggle. Our struggle is like that, and it's not against other people but it's against these spiritual forces. And it says that they have authority against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world. Some believers say, well, I don't have to worry about the devil because he's defeated. That's it. Finished. I ain't got to worry about him. He's got no authority. He's got no power. Bible never says that. The Bible says he has authority and he has a certain amount of power. But it also says, Jesus says, The Great Commission, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Matthew 28 18. Everything, Christ has the authority over the forces of evil. And that same authority that Jesus Christ has is living inside you and me. And so we have greater is in us than he, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world, the Bible says. So the power that we have in us, it's not that we diminish the power of the enemy. It is real. It will be there to cause you to stumble if you neglect it, if you dismiss it. But the power that is within us, that Christ has placed in every single believer, is stronger than the power that anything that Satan can do. And so we do not have to fear it. Recognize it, yes. Fear it, no. Because Christ has given us his power, which is infinitely stronger. Don't underestimate the tricks of the devil. How many believers have you seen who have fallen flat on their face? How many people, leaders of Christian churches, they get there, they lead, God pours out his blessing upon them and what happens? They fall flat on their face. They sin. They mess up. They're an embarrassment for us and they're a disgrace to the kingdom of God. Why? Because they take their eyes off of Jesus. When you're on your way up, you keep going, Lord, Lord, help, help, help. When you arrive, then you take your eyes off and you go, hey, this is awesome. Hey, thank you, Lord. And what happens? They stop putting on the armor of God, and then Satan comes in and he says, now I'll attack. And what happens to them? They fall on their face. They embezzle funds. They sleep with their secretaries or whatever else happens. And we see it time and time and time again in the kingdom of God. Because we take our eyes off of putting on the armor of God. We close the eyes of enlightenment in our hearts. And we get complacent in the things of God. We mustn't let that happen in our lives. All authority has been given to us. But we need to take that authority and dress it on. Therefore, he says, verse 13, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. That is what the full armor of God looks like. And over the next number of weeks, we're going to look at each one in turn so that we fully understand or as much as we can about how we put that on. But I would challenge you today, put on the armor of God. You know, I was lying in one morning this week, having a bit of a lie-in, thought this is kind of nice. I was there just getting up, trying to get dressed, so I took my pajamas off, off the doorbell rings. That moment, you're standing completely naked, going, what do I do? Do I whip on a dressing gown and go hurriedly down? But what if it's somebody from the church? And I'm there, naked underneath a dressing I'm thinking, no. Oh. So I'm like, right, quick, get trousers, quick, get something on. So I dress up, and because you're not sure who it might be. Maybe it's somebody in need, and they want to come in, and it's a bit later than normal, and I'm thinking, maybe it's an Amazon order that's arrived. Or, what is it? You know? And you, and so you Hurriedly, you put stuff on and you go down and you open the door, trying to be all casual and get your hair straight. And well, I don't have to worry about that, but you know, you, you open the door, a couple of JW's standing there, and I think, why did I bother? You know. <laughs> but but I wouldn't have gone down to that front door, whipped it open with no clothes on, and said, "Good morning, what can I do for you?" It's just not going to happen. And yet, how many times? Even this morning, did you walk out of your front door without putting on the armor of God? How many times do I walk out of my front door or even get out of bed in the morning? And actually, that is exactly in the spiritual realm what I do. I just go, morning, Lord. I'm off to work. And he's going, wait, 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 David. The armor of God is there. It's hanging up. Put it on before you face the day. Just as you would not open your front door, I hope, naked. Do not go out into the world. Do not get up out of your bed in the morning, naked, spiritually naked. Because we wonder why the enemy attacks us and why we fall. God's going, oh, David, what are you doing? It's there. I'm begging you. Put on the armor of God. Then you won't fall. I've given you everything you need. Just put it on. Then when these arrows come, when the darts come, when, when he tries to deceive you and twist you and, and, and confuse you and make you doubt and all these things, it's not going to happen because you will stand firm in the clothes that he's given to us. I would challenge you this week. You might not understand it all. I'm not sure I understand it all yet. Partly why we're doing this course is because I really want to get into this. And I really want to unpack what all these things mean. I kind of know if I really stop and think. But I want to go deeper in this and say, what is it? What is this righteousness he's talking about? What are all these things? And that's what we're going to do over the next few weeks. But at least as a start, when you get up tomorrow in your mind, before you get out of bed, go, Lord, I'm going to grab that armor of God, put it on me. I might not understand how it all works. I don't need to understand it, perhaps. But let me put it on right now. And Lord, that way I know when I'm going out today, when I'm starting my day, when I've got to go to work or go and meet other people or whatever I'm doing, I'm going in your power. I'm going in your strength. And I know that nothing the enemy can do will have an effect on me because he that is in me, he that is surrounding me and giving that armor to me is greater than he that is in the world. Let us pray. Lord, we want to thank you. Actually, let's just pray for one another. Why don't you grab someone else and we're going to ask God right now to fit them the armor of God. Let's do that. Let's just grab people around us. Lord, we want to ask you right now, Lord, that you would help us to put on that armor of God. You've given it to each one of us so that we do not need to fall down. We do not need to fall on our face. We do not need to allow the enemy's arrows to come in and pierce us and hurt us and twist us and make us fall because you have given everything that we need to be able to stand firm. And so we pray for the person on our left, the person on our right, and we ask, Lord, that right now you would fit on them the armor of God. Put those things into place in their lives and remind them each day when they wake up in their spirits to say, Lord, good morning. Put, me, put that armor of God on me right now, please. And at the end of every day, we take it off and we say, Lord, thank you for being with us today. I'm hanging it up again because I know that you're watching over me as I sleep. Lord, we need your protection just as those believers in Ephesus needed your protection. We need that strength within each one of us so that we will not fail you, that we will stand firm and be your chosen people, a royal priesthood everywhere you want to send us. We want to thank you and praise you for your word today to each one of us. Help us. Remind us this week, Lord. Help us to remind one another to put on your armor of God each moment, each day so that we may see that power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead and set him up at the right hand of the Father. That same power working in us and through us for your glory. For we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen.